Hey, James, thank you so much for hopping on our show. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself? I know you have a fairly extensive and a very interesting background. Can you share a little bit about your life, what you've been through, and how you got yourself to where you are today? Well, I am a retired pastor of over 32 years at the same church in Durham County, North Carolina, out on a little place called Bahama, uh, where I pastored about uh, membership of about 200 on Sundays, uh, right about 75 to 75 members. I grew up in a small town outside uh, Raleigh, about 30 miles, Lewisburg, North Carolina. I went to high school, finished, and went off to college, got my undergraduate degree, and one year of law school uh, at the same time as I entered into law school on the combined program. Finished law school in 1969. I started practicing law in 1971. Became the uh, first African-American lawyer to practice in my hometown, first and only at the time. I was the youngest African-American lawyer practicing in the state of North Carolina. I practiced for about 10 years, but in the, in the process, I started gambling. I began to win money, lost money, but then it, I fell in love with it and started going downhill. And I did something that I would always regret. And after losing monies, losing all of the properties that I gained, my home, my wife for five years, uh, I did a stupid thing by robbing a bank. And of course, after robbing the bank, I pled guilty, uh, received a 15-year sentence, and after that 15-year sentence, I spent five years in the uh, correctional institution uh, in uh, gee, been so long ago, I'm almost forgetting where I was. <laughs> but, but, I, but that's a good thing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Yeah. Uh, uh, in Ashland, Kentucky. And then, of course, uh, I left there after four years and spent 
a year in uh, the camp at Petersburg. Got out in 1986. I began to pull my life back together and went back to school, uh, went to seminary, received my Master's of Divinity, uh, my Doctor of Ministry. Uh, in, in the midst of all of that, I was called to my church. And of course, uh, I stayed at this church for a little over 32 years. I just retired back in December. And of course, I started a podcast uh, about a year ago. And that has been basically my life in the, in the midst of all of this. I was able to uh, get back to do some work with the state bar. So the state bar uh, allowed me to be a sponsor of CLE, Ethics and Mental Health and Substance Abuse, uh, which I did for 11 years. I only stopped doing it when COVID came in uh, because I didn't want to travel all over the state uh, when COVID was here. So that's kind of my life story in a nutshell. Uh, you can, you know, ask me any questions you want to. I, I always tell people that my my life is an open book. I have no problem with sharing. I'm I'm just a, a person who feels that what I can share can always help somebody else. And what, even when I started my podcast, uh, I wanted to be about encouraging, inspiring, and transforming. So that's what I've done, and I've been really doing well with it, enjoying it, and I'm living a fulfilled life. I remarried to a lovely wife. Of uh, matter of fact, the past July was 33 years, two kids, and two grandkids, uh, two daughters, two granddaughters, rather. Uh, and they're doing well. I'm doing well. And what else can I say about life? Hey, everyone. We've been using Furnish Finder for the last five years. When it comes to travel nursing assignments or long-term vacations, Furnish Finder is a place to go. One of the most trustful aspects about travel nursing is finding housing. There aren't a lot of sites that offer furnished homes for short-term leasing. Furnish Finder has thousands of furnished properties nationwide to meet your every need. If you're looking for a one-bedroom studio to a three-bedroom family home, Furnished Finder has you covered. Travel with a peace of mind with Furnished Finder. Start your search at FurnishedFinder.com. <laughs> yeah, James, well, congrats on the on the happy family, all the kids and everything, everything like that. Sounds like your life's very interesting, but definitely filled with some highs, some lows. I really appreciate you coming out and sharing because the best way for us to learn is firstly from our mistakes, but then secondly from other people's mistakes. So I'm glad you're, you know, you're open about sharing it because people could definitely learn a lot from what you've been through, what's happened to you and, and just your whole life story. So going from lawyer to gambler, how did that transition happen? What really made you, you could say, fake fall in love with, with gambling? Because when I watch YouTube, I see a lot of people promoting gambling sites, all that kind of stuff, um, like casino games, all those kind of things. I even myself play some poker. Uh, like once a week, just 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 for fun. But I see a lot more of these gambling uh, commercials, gambling sponsors. And in my head, when I first saw 
thought of that when I first saw it. I'm like, you know, you got these big platforms promoting gambling and to the like the wide wide public and you have kids, people that are 18 years old that not really sure what they're getting themselves into, but playing poker, I understand the rush of winning a hand or winning some chips or, you know, gambling and winning and it does become a little bit addicting. So you do have to control yourself self in a sense that it's easy to fall in the trap of just chasing that that gambling high. So what really made you fall into that, that trap of gambling? And why did you, why or how did you transition from a lawyer to having this issue with gambling? Well, that's a, a very good question. And I'll answer this way. Uh, even at a young age, out of, uh, in middle school, my uncle was a, you know, played a gambler. He played cards. And I would go over to uh, his house and spend the nights with his wife and their kids and while at his house they would start some little card game and so i learned basically how to play every card game you could possibly think of okay uh and of course obviously my mom was living in new york so she would always send me a little spinning change and so i had always had a little spinning change and we would play for nickels dimes or whatever it wasn't that wasn't a problem. It was just fun. I played, I gambled with pool. I became a really, what I would call a pool shop. Uh, even during my CE in high school, uh, going through college, I, I always liked to do that. So, but I never had a problem with it. It was okay. I was fine with it. Um, got out of, uh, law school and started practicing law and I was working with some lawyers uh, who every Wednesday I noticed they were not at the office and uh, so I asked the secretary I said, where, 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 where are they? Every Wednesday they would leave and she said well they're just right across the streets man. They, they got a little uh, uh, poker game into and so I, I said, oh, okay. He said, you can go over there with them and check them out. So one one Wednesday, I just walked across the street where it was playing, and they asked me to, uh, look, you want to learn this game? I said, yeah. And I started playing poker. Well, you know, being a, being someone who would always gamble, but pool with all kinds of cards, it was another little interest that was, that I had, and I was, I kind of fell in, in love with it. I liked it, uh, and of course, they started playing for pretty large size money. And of course, uh, as I learned the game, I became more fascinated. I thought I was getting pretty good. I won money. I I lost money. It was no problem because we always gamble with professionals. They were the lawyers. Uh, barsmen, you know, uh, uh, barbers in the areas. So, so nobody ever got broke that didn't get some money. So, and that might have been one of the problems that we were facing because we, we were always able to get more money. So if I, you know, got lost all I had and I needed to borrow another $500, I could get it. Same thing with them. If I was a winner that night and they needed another $500,000, they got it. Okay. That's the way we played. So we were up and down. We 
we we we we actually made money gambling. We lost money gambling, but it was just fun. We went to we had a little circle and we went to different homes, and of course it was just like really good therapy because the the spouses or the girlfriends of, of the guys would would have big spreads, would have all kind of drinks and. So you ate and you took a drink. If you were tired and sleepy, you went, took your nap and you got up. And, you know, once you rested out, you got back into the game and somebody else lost some money. They got up and did the same thing. And we could do that all the whole weekend. And that's what we did. You know, I've, I've, left, I've left the office on a Friday night, Friday evening rather, and went to a pole game and didn't get back until early Monday morning. That's just the way we play. And it was really fun. Oh, you know, everybody was okay. Uh, until it got to another point in my life, it was like I began to have the love for it. It was just like I didn't know when to get up, when to stop. It wasn't like that when I first got started, but then it got to that place uh, that I was just wanted to be there. I just kept playing. And until uh, I knew anything, you know, I was going downhill. You know, I borrowed money. I I uh, uh, borrowed money on on, my, on homes. I borrowed money from loan sharks. I did all of this kind of stuff uh, until actually I had basically lost everything. I I, I always say I went straight to the bottom, and uh, that's what I committed this awesome, gruesome crime that I, you know, will always regret, uh, but, I, you know, I'm over it. I don't wallet at it, and uh, so that's how it happened, but I always thought I was a compulsive gambler, and so when I, I wrote my first book, by me, a gold opportunity to blow. Uh, I talked. I talked about it because I thought I was a compulsive gambler. But then, in the midst of of all of it, after I was out, I went to. I didn't go to a place, but I did call Gambling Anonymous, then a place here in Chapel Hill, uh, where a lot of the guys, women, went who had considered themselves compulsive gamblers, and it operated very much like Gambling, gambling Anonymous. It's not, I mean, uh, Alcohol Anonymous. It was basically Gambling Anonymous. And when I called a guy, I told him I would like to come over and and and, and talk to the, to the people. First thing he asked me was, he said, uh, are you still a compulsive gambler? And I said, no. And he said to me, well, uh, I don't know if the guys would appreciate hearing from you because we believe that once a gambler, always a gambler. Well, I knew that was not me, okay, uh, because I, I knew that I had no urge for it anymore. You know, uh, it was all over. I had not gambled since 1981, so I knew it was it. So when I write in my second book, uh, 
what I call uh, the second edition of the Dear By Me. Uh, and I gave it a subtitle of a self-evaluation. And I was really doing a, it was like talking about what I learned from what I went through. And I concluded that my problem was not a compulsive gambler, but my problem was I was afraid to fail. And that's where I ended up at. And I came to that conclusion, you know, as a result, I, I had been this first and only African-American lawyer practice in my hometown. Uh, I was the youngest African-American lawyer practice in North Carolina. I mean, everybody was looking up to me. I'm not boasting, but I was an excellent lawyer. I had good class. I was making good money. Uh, but the gambling caused me to lose everything, and I just saw myself at the bottom, and I couldn't take it. It was just like I didn't want to fail, and I thought that what I did would get me right back up, that I could take the money, pay off debts, and I could get started right back off again and everything will be fine. Now, I know that's not the way it will work, but that's my thinking at that at that particular time. And so that's that's what happened to me. Uh, it's something, you know, I, I wish it would, it was different, but, you know, you can't go back and, and put the water back in the, in the jar. You know, it's already been spilled. So I deal with it, and I work. And uh, I must say my, my life is great. I'm doing some great things. Uh, I've been blessed. Uh, so I don't have any, any real complaints. There are many times in my life when I feel as if this is really where I'm supposed to be anyway. So I'm comfortable. I still got all my good friends. I have lawyer friends who knew me when I was practicing law. They're still my friends. We still eat together. We go out together. We, we have fun talking. They call me one of the... the uh, People who died or got sick or something, we all go to the fields together. So we we all get friends. I got good minister, uh, ministers and pastors, and they all good friends of mine. So I'm I'm living the joy of my life. I'm really having a a great time. Uh, so I can't complain about about anything. And James, you said that with your self reflection, you kind of realized that, found out that you're really scared of a failure. But it seems to me like you're also a person that likes to take on some risks, right? Becoming a lawyer is very risky. Every trial is a new risk. You have a chance of winning, chance of losing. There's always some stakes in a, in, in a trial of being a lawyer. You like gambling. So with the with the whole bank robbery situation, um, if you're okay sharing, you said at that point you hit rock bottom. That's what you found to be almost like the best solution for you to get out of it. So in your mindset, how did you come to that to that con conclusion? Why did you think that was like your only way out or your best chance? I didn't think of that at the time. I didn't. It wasn't anything that I premeditated. It was. Uh, it it was something that kind of happened on a spread of the moment, and I don't mind telling you how it happened. It, I'd almost committed suicide. Okay, that's that's what I was thinking. I when I got up in the morning to go to my my office, uh, I didn't I didn't even feel like I was going to leave my office. I had pulled the 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 uh, pistol out of my drawer. I had it with me, and I went and sat there in the office in the chair, just contemplating my whole life. I'm here at the bottom. 
I lost everything. I, 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 I can't see my way out. And I just started riding around. And of course, many times I contemplated, and I guess if I, if I wasn't an only child uh, and my mom was not in the picture and, 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 she, and my thinking about her, I probably would have done it. But I, uh, that kind of kept me a little focused. And so I just started riding. And uh, I rode into a town called Oxford, North Carolina, and I was eating in the restaurant. And because it was later in the morning, breakfast time now, and I'm riding around because I couldn't sit in the office and my mind is just gone. And I'm sitting in the restaurant. And uh, while I'm eating, I look out of the out of the window and I see the Central Carolina Bank. That was the name of it at the time. Central Carolina Bank. And then my mind started rolling. You know, it just started rolling. Boy, if I could just, you know, get enough money to pay off these debts, to do this, do that, and to just get things started all over again. So it wasn't a, a, a long premeditation moment. It was just a spread of the moment moment to do it, get it, get it over with. I hopefully can uh, get by, not get caught, and then I'm okay. That's the way it worked. That's the way I was looking at it. Now, that's not the way it worked, but that's the way I was looking at it. And of course, obviously, that didn't work out. Almost like, uh, in a way, like an act of desperation, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it was. Mm. And you mentioned you went to, you went into like the uh, gambling and database kind of stuff. So, why was it hard for you to maybe find um, help out outside of that? Because like you mentioned again, you said that your fear of failure. A lot of times I struggle with that too in a sense that with the fear of failure is that sometimes we feel like only we could fix this and it's our responsibility to fix it. And that's sometimes why we don't reach out to others for help. But when we know that if we reach out, people are going to help us. We just don't want to reach out because we we then almost look at ourselves as a bigger failure because now I'm almost putting this burden on you because you got to help figure out my situation so you even feel feel worse. Did you have like the, the same feelings? Yeah, uh, you, you are so interesting. I, I'm listening to you talk and it's really about where I was. And I, I, I hear you so well. I've told, my, I've, I've said to my wife now that I know I could have gone to my relatives, my granddaddy, we my granddad owned no five hundred acres of land. I could have gone to my aunts or anybody and saying, "Look, you know, I'm I'm head over heels in debt. Uh, you know, I just need you know fifty, uh, seventy-five thousand uh, dollars, and I can just take care of everything, and I'll, I'll eventually get it back to you." I could, and I and I just honestly believe if they knew that about me, they would have let me have it. But my my thoughts were, and when you said what you're saying is exactly where what my thought was, you know, they were looking up to me. You know, I was this lawyer in the family, the only one, you know, only a lawyer in the family. They, they thought I had it all together. And so to go to them for anything in my mind was letting, not only letting myself down, but I was letting them down too. And I didn't want to do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you said that, it, it really kind of, made me laugh because it's really where I was, you know. So I, I definitely know exactly what you say. Uh, and that's kind of what's my feeling, 
you know, I I could not uh, I could not go to my family members and just ask them to do this for me. It just uh, they didn't they they I, I my thought was they're gonna be saying I you know why are you do you know you 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 the lawyer you you shouldn't be have to go through this and you know they are farmers and what have you it it's it just something that I felt like I could not do. Now, I've thought about it over and over, and I even said it to my wife now. I said, you know, it was kind of crazy. It was stupid. It was silly because I know I could have gone to them, and, you know, they would have done whatever they could to help me, you know. But rather, you know, I, I did something crazy, and I hurt them worse than actually if I had, you know, gone to them and said this is what my situation is. But that's just the way things are. Yeah, especially being like a man and that pride and that, and that ego. Some, sometimes you really need life to kick you in the ass to finally be like, okay, you know, I, I can't just be doing this because is that an ego in us? Especially guys, we have that biggest struggle with that ego because we're the man, I'm supposed to be, be the man. But sometimes right. you you are the man, you could ask for help. You're still the man if, if you ask. Mm-hmm. And like with your case, you went to prison, you went to jail, and that really gave you that swift kick in the ass where it's like, okay, you know, I gotta let this ego portion of me die because I'm not as high horse as I thought I was. And That's if I right. keep doing this every year, it seems like my life is getting lower, lower, lower. And now, bang, you're in prison. You don't even have freedom. Now you're making license plate for for a living that that, that says live free or whatever. And you're starting to get license plate and it says live free. And you're like, I'm cooped up in here, you know. And I really messes you with you even more. So now, if you don't mind touching up on James, like your whole prison experience, like. I know a lot of people, I've talked to a handful of my patients that have been in prison and after prison, they refound God or they then finally kind of calmed down and they took like a different look at life and different perspective and they became a better person. Of course, they regret doing what they've done and wish they would have learned how to get to this place without prison. But sometimes that's just how life is. You just have to go through this, this, I guess, negative and saddening and hardening experience to kind of come out because some of us, we're stubborn and it takes us a harder kick in the ass to really learn that lesson versus somebody else, you know, that might just go through something real small that, okay, then they learn a lesson. Sometimes we just go through life in our own way. So can you touch base upon a little bit of your prison experience and what really made you then join uh, the, the seminary, I believe it's called, right, and become a pastor? Well, my mine took a little different turn. See, after this happened to me, uh, I was out on bond for uh, almost six months. But when it first happened to me, uh, because of it happened suddenly like it did, uh, everybody thought that I'd had a mental breakdown. So my lawyer and the judge, you got to understand, I'm in small town practice law. Everybody knows me. Okay, so... This was not, this was out of the ordinary for a lawyer and for me specifically. So nobody could understand it. And everybody thought that something had to have clicked mentally to make me do that. So uh, the judge ordered me, who I knew very well, uh, ordered me to have six months at Dorothy Dick's. Miller Hospital. I stayed there for three weeks and I got out 
when I came back out, I did have a job because I knew I couldn't go back to the, to the law office. Uh, then was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I had some friends because obviously I had a lot of people who were doing things, businesses. Uh, one friend had a service station. And he said, well, you can come on and help me out. So I went over and helped him out, pump gas, wash windshields. At that time, that's what you did, okay? Uh, clients of mine, people who did me well would come by. They would would talk to me, pray with me. Uh, I washed their windshield, pump, uh, pump the gas for them. Eventually, I left there. Now, I, I want you to follow me because I'm out for about six months, okay? Uh, eventually, I left there and started working at a supermarket for another gentleman, who, a white gentleman who had been the chairman of the county commissioners, knew me very well. He gave me a job. He said, well, I don't have anything, but if you want to work, you know, uh, as a cash behind the, uh, what they call it, uh, it was a word for what you used there. But anyway, a bad boy. If you want to work as a bad boy to work, bag the groceries and take them out to the cars, you, you can. And, I, you know, no problem. I'll, I'll let you do that. So I, I said, okay, I'm fine with it. I didn't mind it. I worked behind the cashier. We bagged the groceries for clients and customers who came in, walked them to the car. Some of them were my clients. Some of them were were friends, some were family. Note that I'm still in the county now where I was practicing law now, so I don't want you to forget that. And so that became such a very humbling experience. You know, it was like, wow, I thought I was all up here, and look what I'm doing now. You know, I'm carrying groceries of my former clients to the cars with them, but they're praying with me. And so it began to really... Uh, I guess changed my whole outlook and pattern on life. I started praying. My mom, uh, who was now down from New York and who had been living with me for some time now, uh, and I don't know, there was something started working with me, and I started praying, and I felt a call to the ministry. And I eventually went and talked to my pastor, and uh, he talked with me. And I told him, I said, in the Missionary Baptist Church, the concept is that we do a, an initial sermon, okay? And so I told him, I said, well, I feel the call, but I don't want to do, to do the initial sermon until I get out. I'd already made my mind up that I was going to plead guilty, I was going to do whatever was coming my way and get it all behind me because I knew that my life has changed. I was no longer that person. And so he said to me, he said, well, look, if you feel the call, oh, why don't you go out on and do your initial sermon? Uh, because you don't know. The Lord might have something for you to do while you can find. And so he encouraged me to do my initial sermon. I did that sermon on that Sunday, the first Sunday in January. Uh, this happened to me in July. Uh, the first Sunday in January, I did my initial sermon. And that following Monday, I went to court, and I was given a 15-year sentence. 
may not believe this, but I know it hurt my mom because I hear it up when she screamed out in the back. But for me, I was okay. I, I just felt like I was going to get through this. I was going to, everything was going to be okay. I was going to get all the time behind me. And literally, it did. I, I was the most blessed person confined. I tell my wife right now, confinement, I know added five years to my life. You know, I, I, I also tell her, and I think it took five years off my mom's life, but it added five years to my life. Uh, so I, I worked in the education department as an adult teacher, as an adult assistant, you know, adults to the adults there. Uh, I was also uh, helped out in that chaplain's office. I was in Asheville, Kentucky, and I kn- this might be hard to believe, but I was such a model prison until I got two furloughs, both uh, working with prison fellowship. I went to Stylestown, Pennsylvania for a whole week. I went back to D.C. for another whole week. The time that I went to D.C., they even allowed me to leave out by myself, catch the plane, and come back. They trusted me that well to do that. I was such a model prison until they wouldn't even let other inmates know uh, where I was gone. They thought I went to back to court. Okay, I was at seminar okay, with prison fellowship. That's just how well my my confinement went. So when, when everybody talks about, you know, you can't make it, I went through confinement five years, well, four years at Ashland and one year at, at, at in Petersburg in the camp without any infraction whatsoever. None, my record was perfect. And of course, I got out a little early, uh, you know, well, because, you know, uh, at that time, if you served a third of you of your time with good behavior, you could, we were able to get out. And so I went to the camp. I left, left Ashland, Kentucky, went to the camp, Petersburg, and then left there early and came to the Hanway House. And from there, that's when my life started. I, I then enrolled in seminary. The first time I applied for seminary, I didn't get accepted. I knew why. I didn't get upset. You know, I knew why I didn't get, I didn't get, I, 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 they didn't accept me. You know, they saw criminal record. But I say, you know, I'm not going to let this stop me. I applied the second year, and I think then they thought I was really serious, and they accepted me. Okay, so so I I was in seminary, and and in, in, in the process of all this, I remarried to my my wife now, and uh, uh, I was only able to go part time. So, but in the bits in the, in the in between all of that time, I got my call to to the church that I just spent thirty two years years with, and of course. Uh, a friend of mine told me about about what I had gone through, and he said, you know what you need to do? You need to apply to the state bar and see if you could uh, become a sponsor of CLE. So you have a great story. I think lawyers, they just know, you know, what you have gone through, and I think you can be an inspiration to them. 
Uh, we had one other lawyer in the state of North Carolina who was disbarred, who had a felony record that they allowed to do CLA. It was a, a white gentleman, only one. Uh, but his his crime was embezzlement. You know, most lawyers who go through something, that's where they ends up being, you know, uh, embezzlement, uh, taking class money or what have you. Uh, so embezzlement so is basically, is that like laundering money or is that taking money on the table? What is em em embezzlement? No, embezzlement is class money that you use after you sell a case or something. You're supposed to have it in trust or you mess with trust money. You know, it's misappropriation of funds, really. That's what it boils down to. And so uh, uh, he had gotten charged with that, spent some time with that, but they allowed him to do CLE. So I told my friend, I said, well, I don't know that uh, they'll let me do this because uh, my crime was a violent one, and I don't know if I, if they allow me to. He said, he said well, you got a great story. And so I came back, talked to my wife, and my wife told me, she said, well, you don't have your license anyway. You don't have anything to lose, which was really a perfect thing to say to me. So I went on and applied. And after applied, they, they, they sent back a letter saying that I, should, I would hear from them within three weeks. Uh, three weeks came out of your thing. In my mind, I know that all they could see was an African-American guy who had robbed a bank, and that wasn't a good picture, okay? I'm just telling you, you know, how I am. That wasn't a good picture. So I got my haircut, I put on my three-piece suit, I got dressed, killed, so to say, you know, so we say, and I went over to the state bar, and I, I asked to see someone and continue legal education, and they sent someone down, and I could tell when the person looked at me that the whole the minute change, you know, and she said, we talked, and she said, Miss, she said, Miss Smith, uh, you will hear something from, from, from us within the next three days. The next three days, I got my letter, and it says, we are glad to inform you that you've been approved as a sponsor of continuing education for the North Carolina State Bar. Only two, and I was one of those who were disbarred and was able to uh, be a sponsor of continuing legal education and uh, ethics, mental health, and substance abuse in the state of North Carolina. I wrote all over North Carolina, teaching lawyers uh, for 11 years and probably would still be doing it now if COVID hadn't come in. I stopped when COVID came in. That's, that's how I... I'm where I am because I just believe that if you continue to try, and that's one thing my wife, my mom told me when I first got out, she said, you go lie down in a, in a ditch if you want to. You put your head in the sand if you want to. All folk going to do is come by and put more dirt on you and rub your head further in the sand. But if you would just get out, these same people would give you a helping hand. I took it to heart, and here I am now. And James, going through your whole life, any words of advice for people that are maybe struggling, maybe are kind of feel stuck in life? Um, any, I know you had a lot of learning lessons, but if you were to give like a piece of advice to anybody out there struggling or having a hard time, what do you think it would be? 
Well, I I always tell people number one to uh, stay focused. Most time we lose our focus. That's what happened to me. I lost my focus. I got into the gambling and kind of just lost who I was and what I was all about, you know. And I also tell people that if you're going through something, you know, just kind of understand that the darkest hour is just before dark, you know, so you can, you, you know, you don't have to get stuck there. You don't have to stay there, you know. And especially if you uh, have a uh, an issue like I had, you know, you got to come to grips with it. You know, got to just confront the source, you know, look. This is what I did, I, and I know I should have done it. You know, you gotta accept responsibility for it, and you gotta, you know, keep keep moving on. You know, uh, and you can't let your, you know, your circumstance be an excuse. You know, you just gotta look. I messed up. That's what I said to myself. Look, I messed up. I tell people that right now. You know, I've said it. And you got to be honest. I want to make certain that I, you got to be honest and forthright. And don't mind sharing, because if people see that you're honest and you're forthright and you don't mind sharing, they begin to trust you. And people wonder, you know, how I, how how did you get a, a church? And you pastor a special, you know, conservative mission at Baptist Church. That would be the last church, you know, would call you as a pastor. How did you do that? You know, with all you got. And it was because I didn't hold back. You know, I said this is what I've done, this is where I've been, but I'm a different person now, you know. Uh, and and I was up front. I was honest, and I they saw it in me. And, of course, you know, I stayed there for 32 years. Uh, and I tell people that all the time. That's what you you uh, got to do. And, you know, I told you, well, when I do, did my second book, how I talked about, you know, don't be afraid to fail, you know, because that was, my, I think that was really my big problem. I just did, I was afraid to fail, you know, but if I just had gone to the bottom and just worked my way back up, I would have been much better off. But I thought I could just, you know, do it my way, and that's what best me up. Yeah, and then James, you mentioned uh, some books that you wrote. Um, where are these books available, or do you have a website that you can pick them up on Amazon? Uh, where can people get get the books? And also, if they want to reach out to you, uh, can they find you on any kind of Instagram or social media accounts? If you just plug that in as well, thank you. Sure. Uh, number one, uh, you can they can contact me from a website, which is www.dealbyb.com. and on my website you can even purchase a t-shirt. That's my logo, Deal By Me logo here, you see. Deal By Me logo here. And of course, this is what I do. Uh, my books are also on my website. I've got three books that's on my website. i got Deal By Me, A Golden Opportunity to Blow, and Deal By Me, Second Edition, A, second, a, a Self-Evaluation. And I got another book that's... Uh, Come let us reason together. In the midst of all the time that I've been out, uh, I have to tell you uh, how my ministry grew because I, I served as president of the Interdenomination Ministerial Alliance of Durham and Facility is where I practice at. I served as moderator of our association that consists of uh, over 43 churches at the time. 
I've also served as moderator of moderators for the General Baptist State Convention of the whole state of North Carolina over all moderators. So that's where my ministry has taken me. So all of this is available on my website. You can purchase my books uh, on Amazon.com. And you can also purchase them from my website. Anybody who wants a book, autograph, needs to get it from my website. I'll autograph it, send it to you. And, of course, you don't even have to pay uh, shipping costs. I'll just do that free of charge. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm sure a lot of people have learned from your experience and your life. And I want to, once again, thank you just for being open and honest with everything you you, you went through because you've definitely had some highs, had some lows, and your whole life reads like a book almost, you know, in a sense. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, James. No problem. Thank you for having me. Oh, I got to go. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my...